Thanks for listening to Coming to Church Podcast. We hope that this message is exactly what you need to hear. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Great to see Rob Chivacoyo on the platform. How about that, right? We'll be seeing more of him real soon. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be here this morning. Great, great to have the opportunity to open the Word of God with you this morning during our series in the Gospel of John. Now, about those kids, in many ways, the children of Dombashava Children's Home are much like any other children in the world. Uh, they have an inborn need to be loved and valued for who they are in and of themselves, just like our kids do. And when they are loved and valued in that way, they have an inborn instinct to trust and believe those who love them. As I visited the children's home outside Harare, Zimbabwe, as a representative of Covenant Church over the years, I have taken your affection for those children with them in my heart. And when I have been there, when I have been present with the children, they have given me the hugs and the high fives and the returned affection that I know that belongs to all of you who have contributed so generously to their support over the years. So today as we continue our series in the Gospel of John, the Book of Signs, I'm reminded of a child's great capacity to simply trust and believe. The children of Dumbashava Children's Home might otherwise live in constant fear for what they would eat, where they would sleep, how they would find shelter during difficult weather. But instead, like our children who fall asleep in the back seat of our cars, even when we're driving through wind and rain and snow and poor visibility, they fall asleep in the back seat of our cars, trusting the one who is in control of the car. They have no fear because they deeply believe that the one who is at the wheel loves them and is committed to their safety and well-being. Well, today we're going to see that adults, we adults, are not so trustful. In fact, we are prone to live our lives out of intense fear. Our reason and our so-called common sense can often interfere with our ability to trust, to believe, to follow, to receive Jesus Christ. But we'll also see that Jesus is more worthy of our confidence than any mother, father, or caregiver on earth. So this morning, we're going to go back to the Gospel of John and consider the fourth of the seven signs of Jesus. This morning, Jesus walks on water. John chapter 6, verses 16 through 24. This is the word of the Lord. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. 
The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after, Jesus, after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Now, it's been a couple of weeks, so perhaps we should take a moment to review the Gospel of John, written by an eyewitness to the life of Jesus Christ, re- records among the many miracles of Jesus, seven which he calls signs in a book of signs. So far, we have seen Jesus turned water into wine. We have seen Jesus heal the royal official's son. We have seen the restoration of the paralytic at the pool. And we have learned that a sign is something that points away from itself to something or someone else. That is, all of these signs tell us something we need to know about Jesus and his mission. So now we come to sign number four of seven, Jesus walks on water, and we notice that it's a sign of a different kind. And the main idea I want to lay before you this morning is this. Because Jesus is king over creation and king over our hearts, like little children, we should seek him and receive him. So that's a single sentence summary of what I believe John points to us as he lays out the story of Jesus' walk on water. Perhaps you've heard the expression, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. My sermon outline worked for me just a couple of weeks ago, so I thought I'd just use it all over again. First, we're going to take a look at the scene. We're going to examine the circumstances around which Jesus walked on water. Then we're going to look at the sign itself. What did it actually look like for Jesus to defy the laws of gravity? And then thirdly, we'll look at the significance. How does this sign point us to something we need to know about Jesus and what he came to do. So let's get going and we'll set the scene. The scene of Jesus' walk on water is the Sea of Galilee, otherwise known as the Tiberian Sea, named after the second emperor of Rome. The Sea of Galilee is in the northeast corner of Israel, 60 miles north of Jerusalem. It covers 64 square miles of the earth, roughly the size of Washington, D.C., with a maximum depth of 141 feet. It rests 695 feet below sea level, making it the lowest-lying freshwater lake in the world. In Jesus' day, the Sea of Galilee was an important commercial center, especially for fishermen, and it was the scene for many of the significant events of Jesus' life and ministry. Most importantly for our purposes today, however, it was on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus fed more than 5,000 people by using just five small loaves of bread and two fish that he borrowed from a boy. That amazing miracle precedes Jesus' walk on water and provides an important piece of background information for our story today. We are told in John 6, verses 14 and 15, 
After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, that is, feeding the 5,000, they began saying, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Well, here we learn that Jesus' miracles, specifically Jesus' feeding of the 5,000, made him so popular with the masses that they wanted to force him to become their king on the spot. After all, one of the most important responsibilities of a king is to provide for the material needs of his people. And so they figured that if Jesus could feed them in that way, then perhaps he could protect them, he could guard them, maybe even free them from Roman tyranny. They envisioned Jesus to be some kind of political king or savior. But Jesus wasn't interested in politics. His kingdom is not of this world, he would later say. Jesus is a different kind of king, and he brings a different kind of kingdom. So Jesus escaped to be by himself, and his disciples got into a boat to cross to the other side of the lake. So that is the scene, the Sea of Galilee. But what is the sign itself? What happens next? We are told that it was evening already when the disciples got into the boat. But they were fishermen, at least some of them were, and they were accustomed to navigation on this sea that was as much their home as their own houses. Now it was dark, John said. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough, John said. No doubt they had crossed the lake many times under similar or worse conditions. These conditions didn't bother them. They were experienced. They were courageous. They were fearless. At least until Jesus showed up. Maybe you should put yourself in their position. You're already three or four miles out upon the lake. The sky is pitch black. You're being tossed to and fro by the winds and waves in a small boat. Your navigation skills are being stretched to the limit as the moon, the stars, and shore points become invisible. And then suddenly you see a strange shadowy figure off the stern of the boat. John says they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water. Apparently, they recognize him. It's Jesus. But still, they were frightened. Wouldn't you be? It's interesting to see how the academic skeptics tried to explain this miracle away. Some suggesting that the lake was frozen. Some have suggested that the water was shallow. Or perhaps Jesus was riding one of those hoverboards like in Back to the Future. But none of these alternatives explain why the men, these fearless men, were so frightened of Christ. And it definitely doesn't explain why these same men were later willing to give their lives claiming that Jesus walked on water. Moreover, he rose from the dead. Then Jesus spoke. 
It is I. Don't be afraid. And with that, they took him in and instantly found themselves at their destination. Now, have you ever flown in an airplane and while you're doing so, you watch the navigation screen on the little TV at the back of the seat? And you watch the navigation screen as it, it tracks your flight pattern from here to there? Imagine if you're watching that and you're halfway back to Philadelphia when suddenly the little teeny airplane symbol, you find yourself at the Philadelphia terminal. All of a sudden, you are where you were going. Jesus' ability to take us home is another aspect of this miracle. So that's the sign itself. But what does it mean? What is the significance of this sign To understand the meaning of Jesus' walk on water, we have to remember what got us here in the first place. John tells us that Jesus fed 5,000 people with a very small amount of food, and the people rushed upon him trying to press a crown of a king upon his head. But Jesus slipped away because he's a different kind of king, and he's bringing a different kind of kingdom. So considering what precedes it, we can see three important lessons about Jesus from his walk upon the water. And and the first of those lessons is that Jesus is king over creation. By walking on water, Jesus proves that he has control over gravity and the laws of physics. He has command over the wind and the waves and the darkness. All of nature submits to his will. The whole of creation bows down in worship to Jesus Christ as it should. We learned in the first chapter of the Gospel of John that through Jesus, all things were made. And through Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the co-creator of the heavens and the earth. Jesus, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, is Lord and King of all creation. Maybe some of you grew up singing the old hymn, This is my Father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. And then there's verse 5. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. If Jesus walks on water, if the liquid surface of the Sea of Galilee sustains Jesus' weight as he moves across its surface three or four miles without getting wet? If Jesus walks on water, then is there anything that Jesus can't do? All the same, the Bible tells us that the creation itself is broken. That nature, as we call it, or the creation, are fallen and broken because of the rebellion of mankind against God. 
Nature often works against us rather than for us, doesn't it? There are winds and waves and storms. There are great earthquakes and destructive forest fires. There are places on the planet that don't get enough rain and where the earth does not bear enough food to feed its people. Zimbabwe is one of those places. Lake Kariba is the largest man-made lake in the world. 139 miles long, 25 miles wide, and an average depth of 95 feet. It is a massive lake. It is the primary water supply of two bordering nations, Zimbabwe and Zambia. It supports the water table beneath the Dumbashaba children's home where our precious children live. And when There isn't enough rain during the rainy season. The people don't have sufficient water to drink, to water their crops, or to bathe. Now, most of us don't know or care where our water comes from. From the faucet, right? You just turn it on, and there it is. But trust me, every man, woman, and child in Zimbabwe knows that their water comes from Kariba, And when Kariba is dry, life is hard. That's why we've used some of the money you have most generously given to the support of the children to dig water wells on the property so that our children have plenty of water during the hard times. And it's a way of showing them what life will be like when Jesus comes as king and when Jesus establishes his kingdom more, more fully on the earth as it is in heaven. The Lord of nature, the king of creation, will supply plenty of clean water for all of his people, water that flows from the rivers of life that come from beneath his throne, the person who walks on water has guaranteed it. Jesus is king over creation. But next we learn that Jesus is also king over our hearts. There are really two storms that are going on here in our story. First, there's a natural storm of wind and wave and darkness. Jesus is king over that. But the second storm is worse than the first. It's an emotional storm of fear in human hearts. We're told that these men were terrified at the sight of Jesus. But Jesus is king over that too. It's interesting to think about why these men were so afraid. Did they not recognize Jesus? Did they think this was a spirit or ghost? Did they fear what Jesus might say to them or do to them since apparently they left without him? We're not told. We're only told that they were really, really afraid. But that's all we need to know because sometimes we are afraid and we don't know why. We call it irrational fear. It's fear that's not based on science or facts, but it's fear nevertheless. Fear of falling. Fear of drowning, fear of COVID. There's fear of crashing in an airplane or a car. Fear of darkness, fear of rejection, 
Fear of abandonment. Fear of death or dying. What is your greatest fear? Whatever it is, Jesus is king over that too. You see, if Jesus exercises control over heaven and earth, over darkness and light, the winds and the wave, over death and life. If Jesus exercises control over those things, then he exercises control over the circumstances that produce your greatest fear. And so when you receive him, when you take him into your boat, so to speak, you really have no reason to fear. It is I, Jesus says, don't be afraid. This is another aspect of our mission to the children of Dumbashava. Apart from God's help through us, these kids have a lot to fear. They fear abandonment and being alone. They fear where will they find their next meal? Where will they sleep? Where will they find shelter from the storm? They fear the future in the, one of the poorest nations in the world with one of the highest rates of unemployment. They fear getting sick in a country where they don't have easy access to reliable health care. But our support and your sponsorship enables these children to experience a little bit of heaven on earth and come to understand something of what we mean when we say that Jesus is Lord over our hearts. Finally, we learn that Jesus is a king worth seeking. Back on the beach where Jesus fed the 5,000, we read this. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. John records it because John commends it. The king of creation, the king over our hearts, is a king worth seeking. Elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus famously said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. This is the appropriate response to one who walks on water, that we would seek him. Perhaps you would describe yourself as a new seeker. Covenant Church loves to be a place where people who have questions or doubts about their faith are free to ask those questions and express those doubts without being put down or dismissed. And if you would describe yourself as a new seeker like that, we want you to know how glad we are that you're here or you're watching online. And we want to encourage you to keep seeking Jesus. But there's a sense in which we are all seekers. We all ought to be seeking that there's never a time when we should stop seeking Jesus. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how many times you've been to a church, there's always something more to be known about him. So the true Christian is a lifelong learner 
on a journey to discover something about the incomprehensible mystery of the one who walked on water, the one who died on a cross in payment for our sins, and the one who rose from the dead to give us new and eternal life. So let me leave you with this. Because Jesus is king over creation and king of our hearts, like little children, you and I should seek him and receive him. Let us pray. Merciful God and Lord Jesus Christ, we bow before you because you are the king of creation. The wind, the wave, light and darkness, life and death are at your command. And we bow and worship and acknowledge that you are king over our hearts, that all of our emotions, both, both fear and comfort, belong to you. We pray that we'd open our hearts to you today, that we would seek you only to be found by you. Please hear and receive our prayer as we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. For more ways to connect, visit our website at covenantdoylestown.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.